Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. This is our last message on our journey through the book of James. Today, James challenges us to pray for everything and to confess our sins, first to God and then to others, because that has healing power as well. I just want to welcome you today to, you are on my vacation right now. I am on vacation today, so I just want you to know that. Um, So... So this is what happens when you're on vacation and you can't find, you don't have anyone that can preach for you because everybody else is on vacation as well. All right. So it has finally arrived today. What has arrived today? The last message in the book of James. One person's excited. Monique is excited about the last message in the book of James. Thank you, Monique. Everybody else, either that means you're disappointed or you just don't care. Which is it? You like the book of James. All right. Well, anyways. All right. So this is the ending. This is the ending. So how do we do endings in life? Let's talk about endings for a minute. Has nothing to do with this message. A little bit it does. but, But how do we like endings to be in life? We like happy endings, right? Who doesn't like a happy ending in here besides me? So I gotta tell you, I kinda, you know, the whole Hollywood ending to everything, it absolutely drives me insane. Why? Because life doesn't always work out that way. See, in Hollywood, they always get the guy or the girl that they're looking for. In Hollywood, they always get the money that they need to make the repairs or do whatever it is they need to do. In Hollywood, the good guy always gets the bad guy. But in life, it doesn't always work that way, does it? I mean, I think this is why I like the movie Infinity War versus Endgame, because in Infinity War, Thanos was winning at the end of it, okay? And so that kind of was like, oh, that's more like real life. No matter how hard you try, things are going to fall apart. And uh, um, sometimes uh, we have happy endings, but sometimes we don't. James seems to like happy endings, too. But James's endings are a little bit more intense than your normal happy ending. See, when you read other letters that were written in the New Testament, the ending is so much nicer, it's so much kinder. They're talking about blessings and, and wishing blessings and saying hi to people and that sort of things. Well, James, he ends on a positive note, but it's kind of an intense positive note because it's about prayer and people turning from their sins. And so for the final time this morning, could you please turn to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verses 13 to the end. Um, The screen, it's not on the screen today, as you can tell. That should be returning next week. Uh, Last week we left off at verse 6. However, verses 7 through 12 were covered in another message, uh, week 2 to be exact. And so if you would like to hear about those verses, you can listen to them from week 2 in this series. And so here's what it says uh, in James uh, chapter 5, verses 13 to the end. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. All right, so as I already mentioned, this is a really interesting kind of way to land a letter in that time. And many people who have studied the New Testament and the book of James are kind of surprised by his ending to the letter because, as I already said, this was not the norm on how they ended letters back then. This was a bit unusual at what he did. As I said, they would greet people. They would bless people. They would speak, uh, speak truth and life to people. But this one, James, in his ending continued his style of getting up in people's faces, even in a positive ending, all the way to the end. See, this man had to say something, and he was going to use every inch of that letter to say what he had to say. He had three basic things he was saying in the closing of the letter. The first is this, that as a follower of Christ, we should always pray. All right, this is not some sort of revolutionary statement. As we read the New Testament, the letters of the New Testament, we can see this found in other places in the New Testament. Always pray. Paul, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, makes the, uh, I think I maybe said that wrong. Is it second or first? Anybody know off the top of their head? Oh, he just said it to the church in Thessalonica. He said, pray always. That was one of the things that he commanded the church. He said, look, it's time to pray always. And so James, going on this topic, he elaborates on what is being said here by Paul. He says, whatever you face, good, bad, or demonic, we should pray. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Sing songs of praise. And this is where I'm going to start with these, uh, this morning, these three things, trouble and happy. So James tells us that if we are in trouble, we are to pray. Well, exactly what kind of trouble is James talking about here? He doesn't say. He just says we should pray when we are in trouble. Are you in trouble with your wife or your husband? You could buy them flowers or you could pray. I suggest praying, or James does anyway. Are you in trouble with your parents, teenagers? Maybe you should pray too. Are you in trouble with your credit card company? Pray. This was the kind of prayer that happened on Monday at the food distribution as I was talking about. You guys don't seem very into this today. You seem like you're waiting for me to finish so you can go home. Um, Come on, work with me here, man. You're sitting there in dead silence. I know. Do we need to stop and pray for y'all? Is that, what, is that what's going on here? But Monday at the food distribution, this is what happened. We had this new lady that came in, okay? She came through, and I stand back there, and I pray for people. And she, she came up to me, and she was looking kind of down, and I said to her, can I pray for you for something? And she said, why, yes, I, I need prayer. This was her first time through. And I said, okay, well, what can I pray for? She said, man, I am in some real financial trouble, and I need some sort of miracle in my life. And I was like, okay, well, let's pray. And so we stopped, and we prayed for her finances and for a financial miracle to take place. Well, here's what happened. She calls the church back on Tuesday morning, and she tells us this. She said, I left here with my box and I got home and I went to my mailbox. I opened up my mailbox and there was a check that I didn't expect in there for $1,000. See, this is what we're talking about when he says when we are in trouble, we are to pray. But what we do is we say to ourselves, hey, the only time I need to pray is when the trouble is too much for me to handle. 
See, God doesn't say only when the trouble gets too much for you to handle, then you should pray. He says, pray, come, and talk to me about it. It's not a bother. It's not a pain. It doesn't matter how small it is. Just come and talk to me about it. But see, we live in a world where people will tell us that if we ask stupid questions, we've asked a stupid question, right? People will tell us if we keep saying something and over and over again what a pain and a bother we are. All of us know the children, our kids, when, they, when they're little and they ask us the same question 35 times. What are we thinking about the 35th time? I'm going to lock you in your room so you don't talk to me anymore, right? We do everything that we can. Stop. It's so stupid. Quit asking. The answer is no. Well, God isn't like that. See, God is not like the supervisors that we've had at our jobs or the other people that we've known in our life that have gotten mad when we've asked something that is quote-unquote stupid or asked for help on something that we think they think we should accomplish on our own. We have to really get the image out of our head as to who God is. Okay, God is not a God who sits there and only wants to hear certain things. See, God wants to move and work in our lives. He wants to be involved in every problem and situation and issue. Yes, there's situations and issues we could handle on our own, but why would we want to? When the God of the universe is standing up there saying, hey, let me help you out with that. I mean, it would be like you having, you know, problems with your car, and it's a little problem, but you know how to fix it, but some professional mechanic from some motor company comes and says, hey, I'll take care of any engine problem you got. Let me handle it. Okay, that's exactly what God is saying here. He's saying, I don't care how small it is. I don't care if you know how to solve it. When you face trouble, when you face problems, come to me and pray. Now, I want to talk a little point of clarification for everyone about when James uses the word pray here because I've said this before, but this is what most of us think. I'll spend a minute and ask God to get me out of the trouble I'm in. I'll spend a minute and thank God for what he's doing by singing a quick song. And see, that's not what the original language of this letter is suggesting here. James originally wrote this letter in Greek, and Greek is a little different than English in how it communicates things. In this place, what it tells us is that we are not just to pray, but we are to pray about it constantly. See, that means is as we go through our day, as those troubles arise, as we remember those troubles, we are to stop and pray about it. Not just because we prayed about it three hours ago, we don't worry about it now, but he's saying stop and pray. Pray continually. Pray throughout the day for whatever is going on. And the second thing that it tells us is, uh, my sentence doesn't make sense here. It's also not something that we're supposed to keep to ourselves. When we pray, we're not just supposed to keep it to ourselves, but we're supposed to go to other followers of Christ and share with them the things that are going on so that they can pray as well. But not just pray one time for that situation. But followers of Jesus, when people share prayer requests with us, we should be praying continually throughout the day for the trouble that that person is facing as well. But most of us don't put that kind of effort into our prayers. See, I'm the first one to look at a problem or situation and say, God, I got this. I got this. I'll take care of it. I'll leave the harder ones to you. 
I'm also the one that says, man, I don't need to tell anyone my problems. They have enough issues of their own to be bothered with mine. So instead, we pray for like a minute, then when nothing happens or changes, we go on about our business. See, and we certainly don't want to talk to other believers about what's going on, especially if we're in trouble. Why? Because it's none of their darn business what's happening in my life, right? I think that we are missing the answer to prayer in our life because of that attitude. See, God is not like we are. God wants to hear these requests. He wants us to go to him and speak these requests over and over and over and over and over and over again. He likes to hear our voice. He enjoys his kids coming and talking to him about whatever, even if it's the same thing over and over and over again. So don't be afraid of that. Then James tells us is that if we are happy, we are to sing songs of praise. Have you ever thought about that? Our time of worship is a time of prayer. It's not time to play cool songs, have awesome lights, and all of that stuff. There's nothing wrong with those. It's just that's not what it's about. It's about prayer, thankfulness to Jesus. You see, those words that we sing in here every week are words of prayer. They are words that we are offering up to Jesus for who he is and what he has done in our life. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, I never sing because I'm never happy. Life is horrible. Okay, Squidward. If we have given our lives to Christ, we have a reason to be happy. Why do we have a reason to be happy? If for anything else, it's that he's preparing a place for us that's going to be free of the troubles in life that one day we are going to be entering into and there's reason to have joy and happiness in our life. Even if everything else is on crazy in our life, there's going to be a day that this will come to an end and we know that. See, if we follow Jesus, it's not going to be like this forever. It will end one day. And so when we enter into worship on Sunday morning, when we sing these songs to Jesus on a Sunday morning, it's us offering thanks to God for who he is, for what he's done, and what he is going to do for us. But see, that singing isn't just supposed to end in here on a Sunday morning. Just like prayer, this is something that should be continually going on in our life. So that means on Sunday night when we're getting ready to start the week and we're thinking about our week and we're going, oh man, this is going to be a terrible week. How about instead we take some songs and we offer up some songs of praise to God and thankfulness to God and that can change that attitude right around because suddenly there's happiness and there's joy flowing through our life because of the song that we are singing. Maybe this means on Monday when you arrive at work and you don't want to be there, start singing some songs. On Tuesday when your bills are due and you don't get paid until Wednesday, maybe lift up some songs of praise. On Thursday when the whole house goes crazy and you want out, lift up those songs of praise to God whenever, wherever, and whatever we are doing. Sing songs of praise. Why? 
Because when we continually keep praise out in front of our life, it changes every single situation that we walk into. If you struggle with road rage, put on some worship music and sing them songs when you're driving down the road. And guess what? When somebody cuts you off, there'll probably be more peace in your heart than there will be if you're listening to ACDC, Cardi B, or something else like that, okay? It can go for every situation. Our coworkers at work, whoever. If we've got those songs of praise, but in order to have those songs of praise in our life, guess what we have to do? We have to listen to songs of praise. Yeah, somebody was, somebody was actually on top of that. We gotta listen to it. Okay, we gotta know some words of a few songs. And I, I know the struggle is real because uh, it's like some things just stick better than others, right? Because I can remember, now don't judge me for this, but I can remember every word from ACDC's Back in Black album from like 1982. But sometimes these worship songs just have a hard time sticking in there. But we got to work it and work it and work it to put those in there so that we have those songs of praise to sing to God when we get in those situations and we need them. Then James says we are to pray for sickness. If we are sick, we are to pray, not just pray, but call the elders of the church, anoint with oil, and pray. And then James says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, this verse has been a verse that has caused much debate. Is James saying that if someone has faith that God will automatically heal them? What does that mean? In other words... If somebody is sick and we gather around and we pray for them and they don't get healed, does that mean that somebody didn't have faith in that prayer circle and that's why there wasn't a healing? No, that's not the case. See, what they believe James is saying here is this. Somewhere down the line in this church that he was writing to, what had happened was they had lost the faith that God was going to do certain things and certain miracles. They had kind of lost that passion, that vision. They no longer prayed with a belief inside of them that God would actually heal someone. I can see the American church being like that because we so rarely see healings these days. But James was saying, look, don't just sit back there then and say, well, you know, we're not seeing anything. We're not going to pray. James is saying, look, what you need to do as a church is you need to have boldness. You need to have power. You need to step up to anyone who's sick and pray like they're going to be healed. Believe God like they're going to be healed. They may not be healed, but at least believe it. And it's hard. I've got to tell you because... You know, it's people, when we do the food distribution, every week I'm praying for probably 30, 40 people for healing. And we've seen a, where people, a couple of people have come back and said, God healed this, God healed that. But you don't see, I mean, it's just like you want to see everybody. It's like they're standing there and all of a sudden, boom, and all of a sudden they're healthy and just boom, they're healthy and boom. They're, you know, that's all you want to see. But we don't see that. But God makes it quite clear that he's not going to heal everyone. He doesn't operate that way. Sometimes he heals, other times he doesn't. But we have to remember that even if God were to heal someone from a sickness here, it's not a complete healing anyways. Why do I say that? Because one day that person is still going to die. And so our healing is never complete until we pass from this life onto the next in the first place. And we get those bodies that will no longer break down. 
and no longer be subject to disease and sickness. Now, I want to go on a little tangent here because there is something that we need to know. Okay, and this is one of those uh, potentials for you to get offended and ticked off at me, but I don't care. I got to say it. Um, Sometimes God does not heal us because we are doing nothing to work with him to get better. What do I mean by that? I see this every week when I pray for people. Their bodies are sick, but they won't stop doing the things that are making their bodies sick in the first place. You know, I see people come through and they're, they're just like, I need healing. And you, you've seen them outside and part of the reason they're sick is because they keep smoking cigarettes. And I'm thinking to myself, God's not going to heal you if you're going to keep trying to kill yourself with cigarettes. Maybe you need to quit eating and drinking foods and eat stuff that will be healthier. Maybe you need to go out and get some exercise so your health would improve. How about instead of living on monsters, you actually get some sleep? I saw this play out like in my dad's life. Not the monsters thing, okay? <laughs> he's, he's too old to be drinking monsters. It would probably kill him if he had one. But anyway, my dad had really bad diabetes. And the doctor told him, don't eat this, don't drink that, don't do this, don't do that, get exercise. And he wouldn't listen to the doctor. He just kept eating the way he wanted to, doing what he wanted to do, and not getting exercise. And he, he almost died about five years ago. He was on death's door. They were giving him so, all sorts of experimental crazy stuff to try and bring his blood sugar down. Well, when he almost died, he said to himself, you know what, maybe I should do something about my life. And so he started to eat right. He started to stop drinking sodas. And he, and he, and he, and he, stopped, uh, he started getting a lot of exercise and getting out and walking and doing things. And now today, five years later, five years older, He's healthier than he was five years ago, and it's simply because he did some things to work with the natural things that God has put here in place to keep us healthy. Okay, so I get off that soapbox now. James, James goes on to tell us that sometimes the sickness that we are facing can be a direct, direct result of our failing to follow God in our life. In other words, it can be caused by our sin. Yes, our health and our walk with Jesus are directly connected. And I don't know about you, but like when I'm weighted down by sin, I'm a different person. I speak differently. I act differently. I eat differently. I sleep differently. People can see it on me when there's some sort of sin weighing me down. And see, when all of that is different, it affects our health. And for others, the sin that they are committing can literally lead to everything else that's going on in their life. For some, the addictions that they have lead to sickness that they are going through. My grandfather, because of the amount of alcohol he drank, burned up his stomach and had to have nine-tenths of it removed at one point. And so sometimes an end to our sickness comes when we search our heart and turn from the sin that we are living in. Now, I want to clarify something here because some people read this text and they conclude from it that God is punishing people who are sinning with sickness. That's not what this verse is saying. God doesn't punish people like that. 
Matthew 7, starting in verse 9, says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to the, good gifts to those who ask him? God doesn't walk around trying to find people to punish with sickness. He doesn't look at somebody and go, oh yeah, you're going to be like that? Cancer. Oh yeah, you want to be like that? This disease, that disease, this other disease. He doesn't do that. I don't know why we've got this picture of God like that in our mind that he's somehow walking around giving people sickness and illness. Think about how twisted and perverse that would be. Uh, Those of you who are parents in here, you punish your kid, all right. My kid, they really screwed up, so I'm just giving my kid cancer. That would be jacked up, wouldn't it? But yet we look at God and we say, oh man, God must be punishing for me for my sin because I got this sickness. No, God doesn't work that way. James is just stating that sometimes we make decisions to do things that cause sickness and sometimes, and instead of calling the elders of prayer, elders together to pray, we need to spend some time in confession, letting other people know what's going on in here so that we can be healed. See, and then as we confess and as they begin to pray for one another, those prayers are going to have power. See, it says in the text that the prayers of of the righteous are powerful and effective. And many of you are sitting out there thinking, well, but that's not me. I'm not righteous. What does righteous mean? A lot of times we think that righteousness is somebody who's walking around super holy, not doing any sort of sin, being all godly, and that's what holiness is, or I mean, that's what righteousness is. It's not. What righteousness is is something that God speaks over our life regardless of our situation. See, when we give our lives to Jesus, Jesus looks at us, God looks at us and says, you are now righteous. He doesn't say, you're righteous as soon as you get all of this junk cleaned up in your life and have gotten rid of all of this sin. He looks at us from heaven and he says, okay, now that you've given yourself to me, you are completely and totally righteous. And so what that means is if you're here in this room this morning and you have given your life to Jesus, that means that your prayers are powerful and effective. That means that your prayers have authority. That means that your prayers can make a difference right now. You don't have to get certain stuff out of your life in order for your prayers to be effective. As long as you've given your life to Jesus and you have that connection with him, you have the power and authority that Jesus is and his righteousness to speak and pray in situations. See, this is why James mentions Elijah in the text. He says Elijah was the same just as us. And we're saying to ourselves, Man, I'm nothing like Elijah. He was a prophet. Listen, when you read Elijah's story, if you're familiar with it, I know some of you might not be familiar with it, but this guy was kind of jacked up. He ran from God multiple occasions, okay? He took, God said, go this way, and Elijah's like, peace, and he went that way, okay? (laughs) That's how Elijah rolled. And, And James is saying, look, this guy who does it like we do it He prayed, and for three and a half years, it didn't rain on the nation of Israel. We've got that same sort of power in prayer in this room. Take confidence in your prayer. Believe that your prayers have power. Because when we believe that our prayer has power, it changes us. It changes how we pray. Because we look at situations and we say to ourselves, you know what, I got power. I can speak, I can pray in that situation. 
And it changes us from someone who goes timidly before God into someone who goes before God boldly and believes. And when we believe, we start to see God move and work. Then finally, James calls us to make sure that we challenge one another to make sure that we are living in the truth. This is the hardest section of this whole passage, and it probably should have gotten a week of its own because this is a really hard thing to nail down. Because each person, one, has a different picture in their head of, let me read that that last section to you. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. See, it's hard to define that. It's really hard to define that because what does it mean to wander off? I mean, does that mean that we just do one thing wrong and we've wandered off and somebody needs to pull us back? I mean, how does that look? Because we get into the place as believers where if somebody doesn't agree with what we believe as far as theology and God goes, then they're off in sin. But the problem with that is this. If I were to take 10 of you into this room and we were to take a passage of scripture and we were to read it together and I were to say to you, okay, what's God speaking out of this? We'd have six different answers as to what God is saying. And so this is a really hard thing to nail down. And the second thing is some of us have personal convictions that we believe are spoken from God but are not necessarily in the word of God. And a lot of times what we do is we take those personal convictions and we say, well, because God convicted me of this, it must be wrong for everybody. And so we take that and we set that on people and we say, oh, if you're doing this, then you are off in sin. And so what I think James is saying here is it's somebody who has clearly wandered away from the faith. Somebody who has clearly said, you know what, church, I'm out. I'm going to go do my own thing. They're off over here. They're not serving Jesus. They're not doing anything with their Bible. They're not doing anything that a believer in Jesus would be engaged in whatsoever. And James is saying those are the kind of people that if you can get your rope around them and pull them back in, it's making a difference. It's doing something big. See, I don't want you guys to walk out of here this morning hearing that and thinking, okay, I got to go around and make sure that everybody's following the Bible exactly the way I am, and if they're not, I got to wrangle them back in. That's how fights, that's how, you know, debates, and I, I don't know if you've ever had those discussions, but they're pointless and a waste of time because it usually doesn't change anyone's mind. It just makes people harder in their positions. And so we should be looking for those that have clearly wandered away, that are clearly walking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and try and bring them back in. We shouldn't be looking at each other, walking down the aisle going, hmm, you doing something shady? You doing something shady? To try and pull them them back in. If they're serving Jesus, if they're in church, and they've got some things that we maybe say, I don't know if I believe it that way, That's not somebody that we need to pull back in and throw our rope around. It's those that have completely wandered away that James is saying, do that work. Go out, find those who've wandered away and pull them back in. And that's going to be of great benefit to us because we have saved someone from the pit. Now, in conclusion this morning, Here's what I want to do. The bulk of this text was really about prayer, about praying for the sick, about praying for those 
who need prayer. And so we want to end this morning's service with a time of prayer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. We are going to sing that song, Healer, once again. And this morning, if you are here in this place and you're saying to yourself, man, I need a healing touch. I need God to come and touch me and bring healing to my body or something else in my life. I want to challenge you to come up, come to the front of the room, stand up here and offer that prayer to God. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.